You see, believers and unbelievers alike live today in a world shaped by Jesus and His message. You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou... Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord, as we contemplate the mystery of your resurrection this day. May we be empowered by your Holy Spirit to grasp the full import of this great good news. May it grab a hold of our hearts and transform our lives and send us forth from our contemplation as agents of your grace into a world that is desperately in need of it. These things we ask in your precious name, for you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. We commemorate today the rising of Jesus in a world quite literally paralyzed by fear. There are stay-at-home orders in almost every place that will receive this broadcast. There are here for the very few of us gathered in this sanctuary. But fear, we must remember, is a universal human experience made particularly poignant by the pandemic, but something that we all experience all the time. We see lots of fear in today's reading from the Gospel. First of all, of course, the guards set at the tomb fall down as though dead with fear. Then Mary and Mary Magdalene, although they have joy, we're also told they they run away in joy and fear. Something has rattled their cage, rattled their world. So even though they have great joy at the resurrection of our Lord, they also have great fear, perhaps for what it will mean. And the apostles, too. When finally they will appear, we know from the Gospel of Luke that Jesus appears to them later that day, and they're huddled hiding in fear. But even as they appear later in this Gospel, at Jesus' ascension, We're told that that the eleven gather and they worship him, but some doubted. Their fears still gnaw at them. Fear is a universal human experience. And it's into this universal human experience that the resurrection, the good news of the resurrection of Jesus breaks. 
You see, believers and unbelievers alike live today in a world shaped by Jesus and His message. Teachings like the necessity of forgiveness. It's hard for us to think and remember that there was a time when Hammurabi's code, which said an eye for an eye, was an improvement on the prevailing conditions because it said that retribution for a crime needed to be proportional to the crime itself. Up till then, the rule that held in tribal society was if you take one of mine, I take ten of yours. If you kill one of ours, we kill a hundred of yours. My family versus your family, my tribe versus your tribe, my country versus your country. But Jesus moves way beyond Hammurabi when he teaches us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us and teaches us the necessity of forgiveness at every level of society. Teaches us, actually Gandhi summed up Jesus' teachings very, very well when he said, an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. Jesus taught us the necessity of forgiveness. And if we believe in that, whether we're Christians or not, we are being influenced by Jesus Christ. Jesus also taught us about the necessity of caring for the poor. Yes, he's echoing the sentiments of the Old Testament, but there are plenty of societies that have not felt a great need to care for the poor. Felt that the poor had the lot they deserved because of their karma, perhaps, or because they were bred to it, had bad genes. Or it would be actually a shame to try and raise them above their level because they were bred to that level. So we should take from the poor because that's what their lot is in life. How about teachings on the dignity and worth of women? This is something little remembered in our modern world. Jesus spoke directly to women, in a, women he wasn't related to, in a way that no man of his period would have done. Spoke to them publicly. Spoke to them and taught them as equals to men. And later, Christians, reflecting on his teachings like the teachings on divorce, which elevated women's role in society, when, as Christians reflected on these things, they began to change the world. They were the first to bring about women's rights. In the Greco-Roman world into which Christianity was born, the Latin word for man is vir. So a virtuous or virtuous woman was quite literally a non sequitur. It was something you couldn't think of until Christian theologians began to apply that word to women who had especially and deeply embraced the teachings of Christ and demonstrated holiness to all those around them including the men, setting the men an example. Modern feminism has its roots in Christianity and Jesus' teachings, not the Enlightenment, though that fact is little remembered today. Jesus' teachings also form the foundations of what we think of now as universal human rights. The scholar Yuval Harari has recognized this in his book Sapiens, when he says that from a materialist point of view, we must acknowledge that 
the idea of human rights is a Judeo-Christian myth. A purely materialistic world has no place for human rights. It's Christ and His teachings that codify that and consolidate it for us and upon which all of us, whether we're Christians or not, base our modern ideas of human rights. And finally, Jesus' teachings on the significance of our actions, the eternal significance of our actions that we are deserving of and will be judged by eternity for our actions in this short life we have. Pop singer John Mayer, um, in one of his early, early uh, hits, laments, he says, I wonder sometimes about the outcome of a still verdictless life. That there should be a verdict cast upon our lives. That notion that as meager and small as we may seem in the light of seven billion other souls on this planet with whom we share everything, that moral intuition seems to be one that haunts even the most ardent materialist. Which is why they're always engaging in moral exhortation with us, telling us to make a contribution or leave a legacy, save the planet, or join the revolution. It's somewhat ridiculous for a materialist to on the one hand exhort us morally and on the other assure us as one atheist billboard did in much afflicted New York City not long ago, assure us that we can just enjoy our lives because there is no judgment. I miss the older, more clear-eyed materialists who understood well that no activity or inactivity of ours can bring meaning to an inherently meaningless universe destined for either heat death or re-collapse into the singularity from which it was born. John Paul Sartre, I think, summed it up very, very well when he said, several hours or several years make no difference once you have lost eternity. Jesus' teachings on heaven and hell, which garner such acrimony in an era when we don't want to believe that any of our actions could be so significant that they would bring to us momentous and eternal consequences. Jesus' teachings merely give a formal definition to a reality it seems that all human beings intuit at some level. So we, all of humanity, like the people on that first Easter morning, tremble in fear. Sometimes we distract ourselves with pleasure. Sometimes we rage against the dying of the light. Sometimes, like those guards, we just fall down as though dead. But we know, we know intuitively that there is an eternal significance to our actions. And we know if we're honest with ourselves that we are found wanting in the balance when it comes to those actions. But the only reason, the only reason we know 
anything about Jesus' teachings on heaven and hell or anything else for that matter. It's because of this day and what it commemorates. Jesus is rising from the dead. I think the scholar William Lane Craig said it best when he said this. He said, without belief in the resurrection, the Christian faith could not have come into being. The disciples would have remained crushed and defeated men. Even had they continued to remember Jesus as their beloved teacher, his crucifixion would have forever silenced any hopes of his being the Messiah. And with the silencing of that hope would have come the eclipse of Jesus' historical significance. Today, if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, no one except from a few experts in ancient Near East history would even know the name of Jesus, and none of us would know his teachings. But like a pinball bumper, Jesus' resurrection from the dead sends the world spinning off in a new direction. For everyone, everyone, it reemphasizes the dignity of the human person. For according to the words of Jesus, recorded by those early disciples who were so convinced of Jesus' resurrection that they were willing to die rather than renounce or recant that conviction, these cowards who had hidden while he was crucified, now dying tortured so that they could attest to the reality of his resurrection, those same disciples They recorded Jesus' words, his teachings. And those teachings, first of all, they reaffirmed the Genesis conviction that all of us, man and woman, are made in the image of God. But also, those words recount for us Jesus' own conviction that he was God in the flesh. And so, human dignity is raised up beyond what we could have ever imagined that God should take our flesh to himself rather than merely imparting his image to us. And although not all believe in the resurrection of Jesus, the conviction of those who do believe and the influence of that, their convictions continues to work through the dough of human experience like yeast, giving texture and indeed palatability to the loaf, although it doesn't compose the whole loaf of human experience. But for those who do believe in Jesus' resurrection, and by extension, His holy person, His work of salvation, and His authoritative teachings, Christ's triumph over sin, death, and the devil this day opens the path to eternal life for all who are found wanting in the balance. Yes, this year we gather around our computer screens in fear. But the current crisis has or should have only brought to the front of our consciences that which forever hobbles the great adventure of humanity in every time and place. The knowledge that we will soon die. And all of our strivings will be in vain, for they will be proved partial, impure, 
impotent. Or a meaningless striving with wind. That meaningless striving with wind that the author of Ecclesiastes so railed against and lamented 2,900 years before Camus or Sartre or Dawkins or Rorty or Peter Singer or any one of a host of modern voices came along to try and prove to us that life was meaningless. But the good news of this day, the news that has reverberated down the ages, the news that the, whose merest echoes give birth to our modern concepts of human rights, The news that transformed cowards who hid as Jesus was crucified into martyrs willing to bear great pain and sacrifice for the sake of the message. The good news that reaches even into the midst of our universal human fear like a trumpet blast knocking down the walls with a universal hope. The news that has adorned the lips of all Christians on Easter morning like a sign and a countersign. That news is that despite the ongoing political oppression and war and famine and yes, deadly pestilence that still racks this world, the decisive battle has been won and the tide of human history has turned. That is the good news that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen and Alleluia. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the Keep your sleeping, my presence, my life.